Welcome back. Welcome back. To Let's Talk About God. It's good to see everybody on the radio. That we can't see. That we can't see. How are you doing? <sighs> doing great. Good. A little sleepy. Yeah. I'm doing great. I got to watch the Bulls play last night. That's why I'm so sleepy. Yeah, you got to go to a Bulls game in Charlotte. Watch you're, us win. Watch us. Yeah, you're a big Bulls fan. Oh, yeah. They're playing good this year. Sure are. Even we went limping in the arena. We had like five players hurt. Wow. But we won. That was a good win. Yeah. Yeah. Felt good. I'm trying to get over the plague. I got COVID no since good. our last podcast, and uh, I'm making it, but uh, it, it kind of kicked me around a little bit, but... Uh, it's real. It's I'm legit. I'm technically over, you know, I'm over it. Quarantine, yeah. the time period, but it just leaves you weak and all, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I still want to come in here and hopefully... It will do the podcast today. Still talk about God a little bit. Talk about God. I've been leaning on God. I've been talking to God through through this. Stuff stuff's rough. <laughs> I'll be glad when COVID's gone. That's just straight from the pits oh, of hell. It's just so annoying. It's just unforgivable. Oh, Anybody I was would. waiting. I was trying to figure out some kind of way. <laughs> it's unforgivable that a child of God should have to go through this. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out a way to like, you know, that cultural phrase, like that's the something unforgivable sin. Like that's the basketball unforgivable sin. Or it's the, have yeah. you ever heard that phrase? Yes. Basically like the, the big no, no for whatever category. I was trying to find something for yeah. that. I beat you to it you this time. You beat me to it. Yep. Well, today we are talking about as you saw when you clicked on the podcast, the unforgivable sin, which is pretty uh, pretty interesting topic. Often, actually, often called the unpardonable yeah, sin. The unpardonable, so some of you might yeah. know it as the unpardonable sin. Or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Right. Or it's all the same category. And uh, we were actually talking about this with a the, the few of the ladies in the office and uh, before we went to record this and talking about how many Christians over the years have kind of stress themselves out wondering have I done it am I too far gone will God forgive me there have been literally hundreds of thousands I'll, I'll go that far I mean it may be in the millions at this point because we've been church has been around for two yeah. two thousand years of people who have, have been tormented thinking erroneously mistakenly that they have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and damned their soul to hell and that's a terrible way to live sure is. I mean that just that would be horrible and uh, so we're going to try to help you with that today to to, to understand that that's uh, that's you can you can breathe not, breathe. <laughs> Sorry, not, we're we're dragging today. <laughs> I, I gotta get my coffee. In I me. <laughs> will I will go so far as to say the people are listening to this podcast. None of you qualify, yeah, to be someone who's committed. If you're listening to our podcast, if you're it, willingly, li- unless someone's like trapped you in the car and forcing you to listen, to right? This. If you're willingly, <laughs> willfully listening to this podcast, the chances are 100 percent that you have not committed, yeah, the unpardonable, the unpardonable sin. sin. And hopefully, that'll help you today. So let's give you the 30 second definition. Here's mine, and uh, I think we we match up here. Blasphemy against the spirit is a high handed willful sin, and I put this in bold, against the conscience, and which one rejects the clear and convicting enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. And this sin stems from a callous, sinful heart and leads to final impenitence, making it unforgivable. That's pretty thorough. I think you did a great job of that. I would I would just 
put a nutshell version, it's attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. Yeah. I, I think I'm getting into the meat of the actual sin, but it's attributing the work of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit to the devil. Um, and at, at least, at least if we're going to be rigid yes. with a text that creates this whole concept, uh, can we move outside of that? Yeah, and and we'll probably go down a few rabbit trails today, but that's for me that keeps it clean. Mm-hmm. But I like what you said a lot because we'll get into all that. Yeah, we'll break it down. So I think the best thing we could do is listeners just hold on. If you're not driving or something like that, go ahead and like pull your Bible up on your phone or if you got a physical one to Matthew chapter twelve verses twenty two through thirty two. We don't usually read like very large portions of scripture. But this uh, this doctrine actually comes from like a, a narrative found in the Gospels, and I think the most thorough treatment is here in Matthew. So I think it would be fitting if we just go ahead and just read the whole story. That way we set up the context, and you can kind of understand what we're talking about, what we're breaking down, and why we're getting what we're getting. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 32, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. He healed him so that the man could both speak and see. All the crowds were astounded and said, Could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the one to come. There it is. That's 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 strong. That's very strong. Very strong. That that would grab anybody's attention and make you worry and wonder a little bit. So we need to look at this. Let's uh, let's like do kind of a quick, uh, just a quick breakdown of everything that's going on. Just just we'll hit every major point and then let's go back through it and really have a conversation about it. So um, you can tell, in, in, and we didn't read it, but in verses one through eight, Jesus is already upsetting the Pharisees, who are essentially the religious elite of the day. Um, it's very, very legalistic. They've misinterpreted the law. Um, they've got all of the influence. So um, he appears to break the Sabbath in verses one through eight. God does not sin. He doesn't break the law, but he appears to break the Sabbath in their own eyes. And so they get upset at him. And in fact, Jesus tells them, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. So now he's really making them angry that not only does he not conform to their rules, he claims to be Lord over the Sabbath, which he is. So then in verse 14, the Pharisees have actually already plotted how to kill Jesus because he healed a man with a withered hand in the synagogue, you guessed it again, on the Sabbath. 
And while he was there, he accused the Pharisees of evil. So Jesus is just like, all of this tension is building up between Jesus and the Pharisees, um, primarily where they perceive that he is breaking the Sabbath, which he's not. He's just doing good. And he accuses them of evil, and he's riding, and he's healing a man. And so you can see their progression. They go from anger to let's plot to kill Jesus. That's where they're at when we start our text. And and let me add, the Pharisees, <clears throat> there were some good Pharisees, like Nicodemus, but a lot of them were bad, like Paul, mm-hmm. who was Saul. They, they they had the window dressing of religion. They had the religious trappings. And on the outside, they looked like, quote, unquote, men of God. But inside, they were very sinful, wicked people. They were manipulative and mean, very mean-spirited. Uh, they were very ritual, uh, rigid, ritualistic. They were rule keepers. And to the point, they were judgmental. Oh, my, man, they wanted to judge you in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And so they had this whole system set up. They were fakes. They were fakes. Yeah. Okay, then Jesus comes along, who is God in flesh, as real a man of God as you could ever see. He is the, he is the ultimate opposite of them. Mm-hmm. And he is <clears throat> just when he walks in the room, he exposes them for what they are. They, they, they're under conviction because he's the real deal. They can't stand him, Evan. They can't yeah, they stand hate him. him. They hate him. But P- Paul, before he got saved, Paul, Saul hated Jesus. Mm-hmm. He hated the church. He hated him. They hated Jesus. They were jealous of him because what he had, they didn't have. They wanted the following and they wanted the influence and they wanted to do these things and they couldn't because they were fakes, and Jesus is the real deal. And so there was jealousy, there was hatred, there was despisement. They really wanted to kill him. Yeah, They wanted to take him out and end his life and eliminate him off the scene. So you have to understand the condition of their mind and their heart. Hopefully that's helping you to understand now. As these, we, are, these are not honest inquirers. These are men who have made up their mind. We the, hate They are man. his opponents. Yes. They are his enemies. Mm-hmm. They hate him. They want to kill him. And as men who should know better, people who studied the law, scribes and Pharisees, they clearly had the word of God in front of them day and night, and they reject God. They had the word in their head, and they had a heart full of sin. Yes, that's yeah, okay. right. So, so now you kind of know who these people are. So then in uh, verses 23 through 24, Jesus heals the possessed man. And then you can already kind of see the narrative going where the crowds begin to get on Jesus's side. And this really sets the Pharisees off. So they're, it's just building and building and building where they hate him. And now Jesus casts out this demon. And then the crowds are asking this question, could this be the son of David? Now, what's really important about this phrase here is the son of David is essentially calling Jesus the Messiah, Messiah, king, the one who would usher in the kingdom of God, deliver Israel from their enemies. And this is a critical point because they don't believe he's the Messiah. Yes. They never did. That's why they killed him. So I think this is a I think this is the straw the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. This this sabbath breaker, this man who cares not about our law, this man who hangs out with sinners and prostitutes. They're now wanting to call in the Messiah. They're calling him we, the son of David. We got to stop this. Got to end it. We got to it's time to go on the attack. That's right. So they are so upset and 
basically because they're they're so upset about all of this, um, they accuse Jesus of casting out demons because he's demon possessed. And here's the main point that we're going to come back around to. This is obviously, obviously not true, and they know it. These are not people who are honestly convinced, like based on Jesus's works, oh, he's he's filled with a demon, and that's why he's casting out other demons. That doesn't make any sense. And in fact, I think that's why verses 25 through 27, Jesus points out actually how like stupid their comment is and totally illogical. That's why Jesus spends the time saying, um, if you know, if I cast out demons by demons, essentially the kingdom can't stand. You know, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. He spends that time explaining that to essentially look at them going, you guys, I know you don't believe this. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What kingdom fights itself and thinks that it's going to win? Satan's not dumb enough to do that. I know that y'all don't actually believe this. Absolutely. And I, we were talking about it, um, yeah, because I bought, I just I decided to be nice this morning, and I bought Chick-fil-A biscuits for all the office staff and brought them by, and we were in there for, you know, early for office open mm-hmm. and we were eating and we got talking about this. Um, and, and, uh, he, he comes at them from a rational point of view. Then he comes at them from a moral point of view. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's, he's coming at them rationally saying, if you, if, a, if a kingdom fights against itself, if you have civil strife, <clears throat> if you have a coup d'etat, then it, then the kingdom falls. Yeah, this is basic. This is one hundred and one. Yeah, this is one hundred and one, guys. <laughs> so if the devil is casting out his own demons, and and they're losing possession of the of the person that they they're that they're controlling, then he's damaging himself. You know, it's common. It makes sense. It's common sense, guys. It's illogical. So in the front of the crowd, he's showing how stupid they are, how mm-hmm. irrational they are. And, and and just a rational person, you know, could say, okay, well, that obviously makes sense, but they're not rational. Yeah, they're, he does that. I think probably more for the crowd mm-hmm. than he does anything. So so these these guys knew what they were doing, and and I made some notes. Um, and if you're wondering, and he, he calls them, they they said he, he cast them out by Beelzebub. Uh, my Bible says Beelzebub. Beelzebub was a Philistine. Um, False God. Okay. So that's that's where the phrase Beelzebub comes from. It, it, it reaches way back to the Old Testament. But people have heard Beelzebub. They mm-hmm. know that's the devil. So that's what it means. Um, so I think the accusation, what I wrote in my notes for today, they're accusing Jesus of being an agent of Satan. Yeah. That's very serious. The enemy. Yes. Like the the originator of evil. Right. They're accusing Jesus of being an agent of Satan. Mm. So when you think about, they just said, is he the Messiah? They said, no, he's an agent of Satan. This is like a wild knee-jerk, oh, they think he's the savior. We've got to nail him with like, what's the worst thing we could call? This is like playground bully stuff. This is immature. What's the main, what's the worst thing? That we could slander him with because we don't like him. Well, we got to change the narrative <laughs> yeah. because the narrative is moving towards he's the Messiah. We got to change the narrative and we got to we got to break this thing down. And I agree with you; these words were not spoken in ignorance. Yeah, Th- this this was not an act of impulse. Um, they stifled their conf- conscience and they denied the evidence 
in attacking Jesus, and and they continually and willfully rejected Jesus. They continually and willfully rejected the truth con- concerning Jesus. And, and what I want to say was this: what they did obviously was a sin. Mm-hmm. It was a sin against spiritual knowledge. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is a good point that when you know something to be true, but you sin again, you go against it. That's sin. Yeah. Okay. So they knew that. They knew who he was, but they were just not, they were just like in total denial. In fact, Jesus points this out. Well, I love that he comes after them. Uh, he says, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? Right, <laughs> right. So they had Jewish exorcists casting demons out. He's like, if I'm casting them out and I'm demon possessed, what about your own kids? Your own kids, yeah. But, but then he goes, he said, for this reason, they will be your judges. But then he does what, you, what you're saying. He he points out how illogical they are. Then he, he points out what makes sense. Um, if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he says, and, um, how can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. And so Jesus is saying, hey, let's talk about what makes more sense. If I drive out demons by God's own spirit, the kingdom is here. Like, right. I, I'm, I'm doing what David did. I'm the son of David doing what he did with the Philistines and with all of the Kites, well, the Amalekites and Malak, you know what? Yeah. All of those folks. I'm doing that in the spiritual. Like that's what makes sense. And he says, "And I've come to to take back what the enemy has stolen, and I'm going to bind him first. And he's saying the devil isn't in charge here. It's the kingdom of God. God's yes. in charge here. You got this backwards. You're saying that the devil is casting out the devil. No, it's not. The yeah. kingdom of God is coming upon. God is doing this." And they're ignoring the blatant announcement and presence of God's own redemption and kingdom because they don't like the man who's doing it. Yep, and they insulted the Holy Spirit by intentionally choosing darkness over light, doubt over belief, and self-deception over truth. This was a sin of the heart and a sin of the will. Yeah, and I think, too, we can just kind of go through this, and then let's just walk our way back through, but... Uh, I think it's very interesting in verse 30, um, Jesus shows the black and white nature of his message and kingdom, where he basically said, you're either for me or against me. And, uh, you know, uh, anyone who's not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. And so he's kind of painting this black and white, like, choose. It's me or it's or it's not. You're yeah. either with me or you're in Satan's kingdom. Let's make your decision. And it looks like that, that you have. And yeah. then he closes it out. Therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit, so the Spirit is how he just cast the demons out, um, will not be forgiven. You can speak a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the one to come. And lastly, before we kind of work our way back through in the logic of all these things, I think when Jesus says you can sin against the Son of Man or you can blaspheme against him, but not against the Spirit— um, I think Jesus is talking about how in his incarnation, you know, he was a man of no reputation. He's a poor carpenter. He doesn't look very special. He He's a king, but he's riding on a donkey. He's a king, but he's got a crown of thorns. All of those things um, where, hey, if, if, you, if you can't see me as a king, I'll forgive that later. But when, like, the Spirit of God shows up in unbelievably clear, unmistakable divine power and cast a demon out. That's as clear as you can get. And you still reject that's on you. And that's, that's unforgivable. That's smacking you in the face, 
telling your conscience, you, you know, you, you know what's right, but I reject you anyways. I agree. I think that's it. Um, I put, I put a quote I had, I, I, it wasn't my quote. So I, I, I can't remember who I gave credit because we read so many sources and commentaries, but I love this. See if you like this. It is nothing less than a decided slandering of the Holy Spirit, an audacious declaration that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the abyss, that the truth is a lie, and that Christ is Satan. Mm. That's wild. That's pretty strong. That's very strong. And and so when you're talking about the unpardonable, unforgivable (laughs) sin— that's what you got to do. Yeah. You, that's that's what you have to do. You have to have a seared conscience and a totally hardened heart. In fact, in in the version that Mark gives us, um, I can't figure out the verses, but Jesus looked at them and it says he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. So there it is. So now we've kind of walked through the story. Let's walk through it theologically. What is you know. In, in in kind of summary, and we can just kind of have conversation, what is going on here? What's happening in their hearts and minds? And then let's transition. How do we walk into this today? Does this have anything to do with us today? Just kind of give us the theological summary now that we've really kind of walked through the text. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is this is where maybe we got some rabbit trails we can go down. Is that, you want to just go down some rabbit trails? Well, before as well? we do that, give us something clear. Yeah, let's give us what's what's the clear. So here's the thing. Give us a clear summary. So, so the summary is, the summary is, you cannot, and you should not attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. You you should not do that. That's I think that's the the bottom line that's mm-hmm. that's the if you if you want to filter it down to what is happening here don't don't take what god is doing the spirit of god is doing and then say it's of the devil and we don't mean that don't do it ignorantly like right. you're actually convinced we mean don't do it against your own conscience because you hate god with a with a hatred and a despisement and you're trying to affect other people and influence other people to turn them against God, that that's what we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. And the reason I said that is because people who fear that they have committed the unpardonable sin, uh, that's where they struggle because they don't have the clear understanding of what this is about. Context creates this. And mm-hmm. and and I, I don't think the the mark passage that matthew passage didn't say it the mark passage maybe did um yeah because it says whoever blasphemes against the holy spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin and then it says this because they were saying he has an unclean spirit mm-hmm. that is probably one of the most important i'm glad mark wrote that yeah because there may be a little vagueness here that could leave people still worried but that says right there what the that says it that's yeah. there's your explanation what is the unpardonable unforgivable sin when you say jesus has an unclean spirit that's not the holy spirit that's an, see so that defines it mm-hmm. that that cleared it up thank mm-hmm. god that's in the bible yeah. so when people say oh, i think I've, i think i've committed the unpardonable sin i'm scared of i think i'm going to hell i can't be redeemed then no uh and you've got to remember too it stems from a hardened heart so it's not just it's not only all of the things beforehand, but the reason we spent all of that time like working through the context of the passage was to show you 
how the work that they had already done to harden their own hearts, the hatred they already had from Jesus, really this is just the fruit of the of their heart. In fact, doesn't I think it's the Matthew passage? Doesn't Jesus right after that go on to talk about uh, you know out whatever out of the heart the mouth speaks yeah. um, and judging them by their fruit? Yeah, I I should have read that or included that in there. In fact, Matthew explicitly makes that point where Jesus goes on to teach about, you know, essentially you'll know them by their fruit and whatever the state of their heart is, that's where you're going to see their words and their actions. So the unpardonable sin, it's really the manifestation of a heart that's already closed itself off from God. It it's you you have you're not even interested in. I mean, you you're not even just not inter- you're adversarial. Yes, that's what it you're is. You're adversarial. It's it kind of like how Saul was. Yeah, Saul was a blasphemer. He he claimed I was a blasphemer, mm-hmm. uh, but evidently he didn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But 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 Saul said I did it in ignorance. Mm-hmm. So so there was there is where you can do wrong in ignorance. Mm-hmm. Okay, these people weren't ignorant. They were they were malicious. They wanted to kill him. Yeah, they were murderers. Okay, so they they were the worst enemies. So we say all that to say if you're worried. That you've committed the unpardonable sin, the answer is ninety nine point nine 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 percent no. Unless okay. your heart is so hardened that you will not seek re- repentance and faith, which is why it's unforgivable. You're good, and you're and you're. <laughs> Do you still feel conviction you hate, for your sin, and you hate Jesus. And <laughs> if Jesus was here today, you'd shoot you'd him. You would want to kill him. You would want to kill him. I I just said that's not you. So I'm I'm trying to say to you today. No, if there's you, a sense of spiritual feeling right. in your soul, you have you're not. Good. I'm going to say this: you have not committed yes. the unpardonable sin. Okay. As a matter of fact, I wrote my notes. Those who worry about the unpardonable sin haven't committed. They that. haven't committed it. Yes. <laughs> okay. So if you're wor- so just grab a hold of that. If you're worried, have I committed the unpardonable sin? No, because people who commit the unpardonable sin don't worry about it. Yes. It's not an issue. Yep. You're so your conscience is so sensitive about right and wrong and doing what's right for God that you're worrying about something mm-hmm. that you're not going to do. Yeah. You you're not your heart's not in place to do that. So yep. take a deep breath and say, oh, I didn't commit the unpardonable <laughs> sin. Because if you're worried about it, that's just that's the, always the answer. If you're worried about it, no, you didn't yeah, commit it. You're good. Because <laughs> the people who've done it, they don't worry about it. Okay? They're so, about like Pharaoh, just whole, just completely hard in heart and fully against well, God. Well, we were talking about um, in the Old Testament, people struggle. Uh, oh. Uh-oh. Someone's phone is oh, speaking Siri's to her. Siri's talking She's to trying me. to get in on the conversation. Siri's wanting to get on the podcast. <laughs> She's concerned she committed. <laughs> yeah, Siri has committed the unpardonable <laughs> sin. Um, in the old, t- people get bent out of shape, Evan, um, who, who are who are ignorant of the Bible. God, the God of the Old Testament is so mean. Mm-hmm. He killed entire he, genocide, ethnic cleansing. He wiped out the parasites and the Jebusites and the... And, all, and the Canaanites and all the he just wiped them all out. They killed they killed the babies, they killed the kids, they killed the women. What kind of God is that? You know, and then, and then people get all bit out of shape. That God, the God of the Bible is well. First of all, first of all, God created people. He can do what He wants with them. Okay, God created us. He can do what He wants with us. Mm-hmm. Okay, if He wants to send a flood and wipe out the whole earth, He can do whatever He wants to do. Okay. Second, He knows everything perfectly. He's the righteous judge. He has a right. To judge us whether we're doing right or wrong, he has, he's the only person who can do that. He has a right to that. Third, God knows everything perfectly, so He knew that every 
person, all those Jebusites, Perizzites, Amazites, all those, he knew, he knew none of them. They were so corrupt, so wicked, so perverse, so evil. He knew none of them were ever going to get redeemed. They were never going to serve God. They were going to perpetually, generation after generation, keep living in sin and wickedness. And I'm talking about like sacrificing their babies right, and things like to that. Mullock, yeah. To, yeah, you took the words right out of my <clears> mouth. <throat> he said, you know what? There's no redemption for these people. And for a few of them, there there were, and, and we're talking about a very like select few, like Rahab. And That's the crew, that, but and God gave them a chance because Rahab knew when, before the spies even got there. The if we if we want to use the New Testament language, the gospel got there. That God is greater than the gods of the world. Yes, and and God will give chances. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, God gave them chances. Yeah, but God said, you know what? They're not going to get. There's no redeemable aspects about. It. They're just going to keep. So I can either just let them die naturally and send them to hell, or I can use the children of Israel. And let them go in there with an army and just wipe them all out and be an instrument of execution, of death. You can die naturally or I'll speed things up with my people. And then I'm going to take your land and I'm going to redeem the land and put the Israelites in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that there's an explanation of that. because So I don't have a problem with the God of the Old Testament because God's God. He's a judge. And he's the same God. <laughs> and he's the same God. So, But I say that because God knows, God, God knows the heart of people. And so to say it's unpardonable, well, yeah, it's unpardonable because God said they don't want to be pardoned. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily a sin that that there's no recourse. I can't pull back from it. Oh no, you know, it's not that. I think it's unpardonable because there's no desire for pardon. It's that's exactly what it is to me. It's the final searing. If there's like any life left, if there's 1% life left, this is the moment that it's gone. It's done. And someone who's committed the impartable sin will never come running back on, oh, Lord, what have I done? Please forgive me. And then God's gone, nope, you went too far this time. The point is you will not seek repentance and faith. The You've first time. Your, God, they won't even seek repentance the first, first time. time. So God's already <laughs> you know, done what Paul talks about. He, he's handed them over to their sin. Fine. You can, whatever, whatever you want. You don't want me you can have that. You go on your way. You do your thing. You've hardened your heart. You're not coming to me again. Nope. I, I, what more? How about this? What more besides God completely possessing this person can He do? In the sense that I'm not talking about God's power. God is omnipotent. He could do anything. We're, we're talking about in the way God chooses to work among men. What? <laughs> Jesus cast out a demon. <laughs> what else is left for there to do? Like, you can't be like, oh, that's so cruel. What are you talking about? He cast out a member a foul, of the dark kingdom. Yeah, the minions of hell. He's tormenting this poor man for who knows how long, and he the cast him out. The guy can't speak, and yes. can't. he's blind, and he and he can't talk. Like, you can't look at the, at the Pharisees and just be like, I don't know, like, Maybe maybe it was part of their culture. That what are you talking? The guy, the guy's demon. eyes open up. He can see for the first time. <laughs> he's he's hugging he, Jesus. He's talking. He's praising, praising God. And then they want to say, "Oh, he did that by the devil." <laughs> you a devil. It's like, what more do you want? But God possessing this person and forcing them to believe. Like he's he has already graciously, by the way fully enlightened the world through this gift and these people have rejected it anyways okay you've hardened your heart there's there's nowhere left to go well let me go down a road to, to tie in the holy spirit because you know you were asking theologically how does this come into play 
because he does differentiate. Um, um, and, and before I go down that road, uh, let me go down a rabbit trail. Dr. Charles Stanley, I read Dr. Charles Stanley one time. He addressed this. And and you and I talked about it. I'll get your feelings and your thoughts. Charles Stanley says that this cannot happen, happen today in our time, that the only way the unpardonable sin can be committed is if Jesus is on the earth casting out demons in bodily form. Yeah, I would very much disagree with that. And I think even Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 is maybe like an example of, of that not being true. Okay, so we'll get to that in a minute. Because I think at that point, you have to deny the Holy Spirit's enlightenment. At the end of the day, the Son of Man was the one you can blaspheme against. It's the Holy Spirit who you can't, who well, is still here working. Well, <laughs> and, and so I, I don't know if anybody ever has ever heard that or read that, yeah. but, but I thought that was an interesting take. Mm-hmm. I'm like you. My, my difficulty with that approach is is first of all what uh, was it Chuck Chuck Colson wrote somebody wrote a book called the Second Incarnation mm-hmm. uh, and the and the first incarnation was God coming in the flesh well there's an incarnation now which is the body of Christ He is the head we are the body because the Father sent me so I send you right so we are the incarnation uh-huh. of so Christ is still at work in the world through us mm-hmm. so if I cast out a demon. And then somebody is adversarial against Jesus. Yeah, they can blaspheme and say, "Well, you're doing that by the devil." The same thing could happen today. So mm-hmm. I don't know that that I've I've read that more than once, uh, but I, I give it to Charles Stanley because. But I read it somewhere like else. If, even even if you go look, read the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is very particular that the apostles go and do the same miracles Jesus did, the same types of miracles he did. They go and by the Holy Spirit. They raise the the lame man, and then they get thrown in prison for it. The works that I do, you shall do, and greater works than these, because I go to my Father. Exactly. So the idea that the Holy Spirit can't manifest the way that he manifested in Christ is is just untrue. And at the end of the day, the the what the Holy Spirit is doing is not only freeing this demon-possessed man, he's enlightening the world. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He enlightens. <clears throat> and even today, through the preaching of the gospel— through miracles or you know whatever other means the holy spirit still enlightens today and that's light you can reject and that's that's what brought me to what i wanted to share uh-huh. i wrote this down it is the holy so why is this so important you know the now now moving in a direction to the holy spirit mm-hmm. cuz jesus is <clears throat> why is it it is the holy spirit who convicts you mm-hmm. it is the holy spirit that draws you to repentance it is the holy spirit by the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that you are born again. Yeah. It is the Holy Spirit who gives you spiritual life. It is the Holy Spirit who will resurrect your body and give you immortality and incorruptibility one day. Mm-hmm. It is the Holy Spirit who produces his fruit in you. It is the Holy Spirit who makes you like Jesus. So to speak against the Holy Spirit by calling his work demonic is to essentially eliminate his redeeming work in your life. Yeah, that's it. So when you when you when you're you're calling the Holy Spirit an unclean spirit, okay, you effectively remove the possibility of pardon in your life mm. for salvation. You are severing yourself 
essentially from the only person and power who can save you. That's good. I mean, that's it right there. Where else are you going to go? Right. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. Yeah. Which I think you're spot on. May kind of hit, hit, hit Hebrews <clears throat> 6. Yeah, let me read you Hebrews 6, um, verses 4 through 6. Um, and, and this is from the author of Hebrews, and some pretty strong words here. These, this is the Bible right here. Context. The book of Hebrews is a book all about apostasy. And what we mean is that um, a, a lot of Jewish folks had converted to Christianity but since then, uh, the Pharisees had come back around and had really been giving them a hard time and giving them lots of persecution, and um, and and just being you know being on them and making life difficult, <clears throat> and trying to seduce them back to the law. And that's what was happening is they were calling them back to Judaism and essentially saying, "Hey, you need to high handedly reject Christ, essentially re-crucify him, declare he's a guilty criminal who deserved to die." And come back to Judaism, and so what folks were doing was to escape persecution. Um, they kind of did this just awful, high-handed rejection of Christ in order to escape persecution, and that's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Is the the author of Hebrews is encouraging people stay faithful to God, don't be like the children in the wilderness. And he's giving an apologetic for why Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism and why it's better than Judaism. So let's let's stick with Christ. And that's kind of the whole theme of the book. So then he says this, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the son of God and holding him up to contempt. This is very, very, very strong language. So the author of Hebrews isn't saying if you're a Christian, and then you just kind of backslide. You can never come back. If you fall into a period of sin, you can never come back. If you um, honestly, honestly get convinced of, you go through a spell of atheism or some other kind of religion or something like that, like what he, what yeah, that's he is, not This is not saying you can never be born... You can never be redeemed again and come back. From yeah, that's that not would what, be, we all know. Yeah. And we, we have examples from like... People like the Apostle Peter denied Christ three times right. and then received him back. So that's not what this is saying. So we're talking about a particular – so what, what, is, what does Jesus do through the casting out of you know the demon? It's enlightenment. And then take that theme of enlightenment and now apply it to a Christian. Not only have they been enlightened externally, but internally through the dwelling of the Spirit. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted God's good word, and listen to this, and the powers of the coming age, the end times have almost broken through into the present. And we've, you know, the, the, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the down payment, essentially, uh, uh, of the, the, the end times of communion with God through the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about this like deep experience and revelation of what it means to be a Christian and then they fall away. 
Why can they not be renewed to repentance? Because they're re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him to contempt. So what they're doing in reverting to Judaism is this is not like, oh, I've waffled back and forth. This is not like, eh, spiritual, you know, spiritual kind of you know, laziness or something like that. This is a high-handed re-crucifying of the Son of God against my own conscience that the Spirit of God is enlightened. This man deserved to die on a cross. He's a sinner, criminal, condemned and judged by God and holding him up to contempt. They, they've denounced Christ. It is yes. a total denunciation of Christ. That's, that's what we're a deliberate and decisive abandonment of the Christian faith. You have turned yes. your back completely. Like, think about the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter makes a quick decision, quick three decisions under fear, but he never holds Christ to contempt. He doesn't reject him in that. He does in his heart, right? We're thinking internally. He loves here. Jesus. He loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. He, but he operates out of fear. Or, or it happened in, um, this was a big controversy in the early church. The Roman Empire would come in. They would start persecuting Christians, and some would give up their Bibles and face persecution and all these things. And uh, when I give up their, try and keep their Bibles, I'm sorry. But they would identify themselves as Christians. Others would very quickly denounce Christ, knowing that they didn't mean that. And then once it was settled, feel awful about it. The church had to work through how do we reaccept these folks? So we're not talking about that. There are opportunities for that. This is high handed disgusting, against my own conscience, re-crucifying Christ, declaring him to be a guilty criminal, walking away, Well, I, I think the whole thing. <laughs> I think there's another way to word this. You have become as one who has crucified Christ. Yeah. You you are the Pharisee. You've said, let his blood be upon us, us and, our, and children. our children. Yeah, you, you, that's what he's saying here, is you— you took the crucified Christ and who was your redeemer, and now you've swapped places, and now you're you're just seeing you're you're as bad as the people who crucified him. Put him. They didn't trust the people who crucified him. Did not believe in him at all. They they hated him. Yeah. You know, we just keep circling back to that. They got it done. We killed him. Great part about that is it is the chief priest's job to kill the Passover lamb, mm. and he didn't even know he was killing the Passover lamb that weekend when they put Jesus on the cross. That's, that's great. A, that's a whole other thing there. <laughs> but but yeah, you're you're right. So so again, there th- this, I think, does speak to that is you can get to a place where you you totally reject the Lord. And that's, what a horrible way to be. And But there Awful. are people, there are people like this. Yeah. That just totally reject the Lord. Totally and this wicked. is not easy to do. Would you say? I I say this is probably very difficult to do. Uh, in uh, my opinion, uh, yeah, you have to be just a. Well, I don't know. We're born with a sin nature, and I, I guess you can choose if you just want to choose to reject Christ. You know, you and I've grown up in a Christian environment, Christian culture. It's it may be harder for us, but if there are people that love sin and love the world and hate God and don't want any accountability and yeah, I think it can be done. I think it can be done by people who just say... I just don't think... I guess I'm saying I don't know that it's a snap decision. I don't know that it's something that overnight you just... Oh, no. I think this is slow cooking in your soul. I think this is a slow digression. Are you talking about somebody who's been saved, though, for like yeah, the Hebrews yeah, people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and, it, and again, I don't know how long these folks had served the Lord, too. You know, that the early church hadn't been around mm-hmm. that, that long, so... Um, 
Uh, th- that's a question, boy. That's so subjective. Only God knows. <laughs> I'm just. I think, in my opinion, right? Like this is just me, just out here talking. I think it would be a little difficult. I think God would go, you know, if we can use human terms, like kicking and screaming, in the sense that I don't think God wants you to divorce <clears throat> Him, <laughs> and I think He would fight tooth <clears throat> and nail to the point where you eventually, you know, you're you're done. So, but I think God. I think God would really send everything your way. Yeah, if if you're redeemable. Yes. But again, it gets back to God's knowledge is God knows. So can I I want to go down I think we've kind of covered it, have we? I think we basically well, I'm just like looking at our notes here. I mean, yeah, we've so, so we pretty much covered that. Too. So I want to go down a rabbit trail. Got you. Um and that rabbit trail flows out of the fact that I'm spirit filled, I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. I operate in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I pastor a Pentecostal Spirit-filled church. Um, wow, and I want to make sure I delineate here. Yes. Okay. I'm not saying that what I'm about what I'm what I'm about to say. I'm not saying this is in the category of the unpardonable sin. But I think there's some lessons to be learned here, um, and, and I think we've covered all the other ground pretty mm-hmm. thoroughly. I want to speak to people who are both Pentecostal, spirit-filled, and for anybody who's listening who's not spirit-filled or, or does not have a spirit-filled back, if you're Baptist, Methodist, whatever. Um, the Holy Spirit of God is God, okay? The Trinity, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is God, but he's three persona. And the Holy Spirit is is God. A lot of churches, a lot of people know a lot more about God the Father and God the Son and than they do the Holy Spirit. But he is alive and well and active in this New Testament era. We we have to have the Holy Spirit. I just read all these things that he does in us. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have to, he is your life. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you'd have no spiritual life. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. Your body is his temple, mm-hmm. okay? And he is supernatural. He does supernatural things. He has supernatural power. Miracles still happen, all these things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen, Evan, where non-Pentecostals and Pentecostals can get glib with the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. God the Holy Spirit. I have seen non-Pentecostals, preachers, I've heard them in pulpits, uh, make jokes about the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, Mocking, speaking in tongues. I've heard like of mocking, speaking in tongues. Um, make, I've heard Pentecostals mock speaking in tongues, and and they'll they'll make joke things about about the works of the Holy Spirit. I love humor. I got a, you know you and I got a great sense of humor. So I I got more jokes about like your papa. Mm-hmm. I, I got a joke for everything. Um, but there are certain things you need to draw a line. And say certain areas are off limit. I get on Twitter and and I'll, every once in a while somebody you know people they'll make they'll make cracks at charismatics and jokes about Pentecostals and <clears throat> jokes about the Holy Spirit and and I just I don't like it. I just I think there's a line you have to draw, and which I think, is not to say you can't <clears throat> joke about our maybe like cultural things, right? Like something funny that happens in church, but when you're like mocking. Tongues and interpretation, or like a direct work of the Holy Spirit. You're not mocking human 
sociocultural. Well, like, and, and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm going to feel weird doing this, but I mean, I, I've known guys, I went to college with a guy, and they'd go, oh, shoo, mama, 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 mama. You know, they would yeah, just, I don't like they, would, that. they would do that. If somebody would, if somebody start talking about the Lord, they would just go, hmm, shoo, mama, mama, mama. Well, it feels would, like you're trivial, trivializing they're, they're, a real work of God. Right. And they would, and I almost think it's like a nervousness, like they don't know how to respond to somebody sharing something the Lord did. And so in their nervous energy, they just do that. But but it's you know so first of all it's but it's it's kind of immature but second it's disrespectful mm-hmm. and I just never have liked it I just I, I I've been around guys who do it and I just sort of shut down immediately we all, all be laughing and then I just kind of internally I'm like uh, I don't I don't like it I just I personal so I guess what I want to say is I think there needs to be a I think there needs to be a an awareness that we need to have a reverence for the things of God, especially mm-hmm. for the spirit of God and the super things. Even if you're non-Pentecostal and you say, well, I don't know about, a, you can disagree or maybe you can, you know, have questions and doubts without being disrespectful. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the lessons I learned here is, <clears throat> uh, and then here's the other thing. So, so anyway, that's, that's my little soapbox. And, and I just think, God is God. He needs to be reverenced, and that includes the Holy Spirit. Yes. Second thing that I want to address is, I'm not saying this is the unpardonable sin, okay? But but Jesus did say that blasphemies against the Holy Spirit are unforgivable. There's a little bit of a there's a little bit of wiggle room there. It makes me a little nervous in that Matthew passage. I, I, but I stay within context. It keeps me <laughs> grounded. But I have a story. That that I'm going to share. I don't think I've ever shared it on the podcast. When I was 18 years old, I worked, and I'm going to I'm going to tell details. Okay, I worked at United Parcel Service UPS in Greenville while I was in college. I worked with a bunch of other guys who went to Bob Jones University. So I'm going to call the university. Bob Jones is uh, been around forever. Great education, great art. School, I remember they have this big thing with art. But one of the things about Bob Jones, they have a reputation. They are, they're almost pharisaical. Mm-hmm. They are judgmental. They are legalistic. It is all law. There's no grace. I had conversations, and I'm 18 now, but I would have conversations with, they're nicest guys, nicest guys. But we would have conversations about the Bible, and there was no grace. I never, I'd never met anybody like them, that there was no forgiveness, no mercy. If you messed up, no grace. I, I just never met anybody like that. And the more I worked with them and I'd read the Bible, I thought, these guys are like modern-day Pharisees. These, these sound, they sound like the Pharisees. That probably would have hurt their feelings. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's what all I could think of. Well, one day during work, something happened. I don't remember. We were having a conversation. They found out that I was spirit-filled, and they ganged up on me, four or five of them. And I mean, they were, they were letting me have it. Well, I was 18, spirit-filled, prayed in the Holy Ghost. I didn't know how to defend my faith real good. And they're asking me questions, and they're badgering me, and they're and I didn't know what to say. And, and I mean, they were really degrading me. Mm-hmm. They were enjoying it, too. And I, I thought, man, these guys are being mean. What, what happened to these nice workers I had? These guys are just, they're yeah. men. But then the worst part came is one of the guys looked at me just as, with just, Man, this 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 look on his face and the sound of his voice. He said, "Speaking in tongues is of the devil." Ooh, 
Yeah. And that's what he said to me. He said, you speak in tongues. He said, that's of the devil. He said, the devil does that. So he's telling me, when you speak in tongues, you're telling me you speak in tongues? That's the devil speaking through you. You're, he's telling me what he took. <laughs> you're an agent of the devil. Yeah, that's aggressive. <clears throat> that's aggressive. It's one thing to say, I don't understand <clears throat> that. Maybe that's human emotion. Maybe y'all are getting worked up. I disagree with that. But that's one thing. But to say you are an agent of the kingdom of darkness is a major accusation. He attributed what I knew to be the work of the Holy Spirit as the work of the devil. That's serious. That's the closest that I've ever come to actually having somebody in front of me blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Now, did he do it in ignorance? It's very clear he's ignorant. Yeah. He's probably never even heard. Yeah, he's ignorant because he's totally, he already has this antithesis against Someone the, told him the that. Holy Spirit, and so so I think there's grace. My, I'm gonna tell a second story. My uncle Bob Tyndall, who's now gone on to be with the Lord, was an accomplished pianist and organist, unbelievable, and uh, was a government agent. Worked started with the FBI and was a, an investigator with the government his whole life. But was an accomplished pianist. When he lived in Dallas, Texas, he got an invitation to go to W. A. Crystal's First Baptist Dallas, which was a huge, and W. Criswell was the man back in the day. You know, he, he had a he had a big influence on Rick Warren. And so anyway, you said W. A. Criswell in the Baptist church, people knew who he was. He went to, he got an invitation. They asked him to come be a guest organist and play. It was Easter. We were all in town, fam, the whole family, Papa and Mama came, everybody. So we were all excited to get to go to First Baptist Dallas, only time I've ever been. Hear the great W.A. Criswell preach that morning. It was around Easter. It wasn't Easter Sunday, but it was around that time. Mm-hmm. And we, so we're all excited. We get to church, and of all the things that W.A. Criswell, this great preacher, could have preached that morning, he preaches against the baptism with the Holy Spirit that we Pentecostals believe. That was his sermon. <laughs> the, the timing. And my dad is sitting there who is an ordained bishop yeah. in the church of God, and my dad had to sit there and take it. Yeah. And we had to sit there and listen to it. But that morning, I heard with my own ears, I think I was 12 at the time, but I remember it. I heard W.A. Crispell say from the pulpit, speaking in tongues is of the devil. Oh, my goodness. The great W.A. Criswell foolishly got up and used his pulpit to tell his people speaking in tongues of the devil. So I, I guess my point is I've, I've seen it from a coworker at UPS to, to, to one of the most renowned preachers that we've had in America. Sometimes the best thing you need to do is just keep your mouth shut mm-hmm. when you don't know what you're talking about, because you don't want to, you don't want to, Get close to blaspheming the whole. You don't want to. You don't want to talk down about stuff you don't know what you're talking about. Like you said, if you disagree, if you're not sure, come at it with an air of humility. Right. I don't know. I don't understand. Maybe it's this. Don't start ascribing things to the devil. to the devil that <laughs> are the work goodness. of God. Yeah. And and there and there has been. In between Pentecostals and Baptists, unfortunately, unfor- thank God, I think it's I think it's it's gone away for the most part. I I don't I mean 
There's, there, there, I, to me, most people I interact with have that air of humility. Humility. But there used to be real adversarial. Uh-huh. And some of this may have come out of that conflict that was there between Pentecostals and especially Baptists and non-Pentecostals. And, and hopefully some of that has gone away. But I, I guess I wanted to go down that rabbit trail just to say, don't, don't do that. Just don't do that. Err on the side of grace and understanding there may be things about God I, I don't know. But it's amazing what we parrot. We hear it, you know, preacher says it, well, then we're going to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, why don't you just back up and read the Bible? I have a good friend of mine, Steve Sylvie. He's a Baptist preacher in this town, strong church, great guy, dear friend. Uh, Steve and I were talking about the Holy Spirit and things, and and Steve told me, he said, I believe what you believe. I said, really? He said, yeah, it's in the Bible. He said, man, if it's in the Bible, you got to believe it. He <laughs> said, I don't practice it. He said, I don't necessarily preach it to my church. We don't practice. He said, but hey, it's in the Bible, man. He said, I don't have a problem with it at all. He said, I believe what you believe. I think that's the best way to go about everything, isn't mm-hmm. it? If it's in the Bible, just say, well, it's even in the Bible. if you don't understand, don't it, understand like, it. I'll back away. I'm not going to. Yeah. He's you know quick to listen and slow to speak. Exactly. So. Anyway, your thoughts as the young generation? I think it's good. I think everything you said is good. I think I think that's a good connection, a good rabbit trail that you're saying, hey, I'm not necessarily saying this is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but how about we not get close? <laughs> how yeah. about, you know, and, and remember, he is the Holy Spirit, and God is holy, and he is other. And let's remember that when we approach him, um, that, you know, I'm thankful we can enter into his presence with such um joy and freedom but he's he's still the same god that rested on the mountain with you know clouds and thunder and lightning and let's just approach him as god he's god absolutely let's let's be reverent this has been good yep well thank you so much for joining us today if if you enjoyed it like rate subscribe all that good stuff send to a friend Uh, that really really helps us uh, to be able to get the word out the more that you give us a good review the more especially Apple podcast will actually uh, promote us and everything like that. Um, And we will see you back in a couple of weeks.